0: You're listening to the Redeemer Theological Academy with Pastor Brian Cashelmeyer of Redeemer Lutheran Church, Los Alamos, New Mexico. On the Redeemer Theological Academy, we mine the riches of the Scripture and the Church Fathers and find in them Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer. Here's the Academy with Pastor Cashelmeyer. Welcome
1: back to the Redeemer Theological Academy. Now, in our last lecture, we were talking about Isaiah 55, and we didn't quite finish talking about verse 4. Let's go ahead and pick up at verse 4. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Now, if you recall, in our last lecture, we noted that the referent here is Jesus. Jesus is the one who has ears to hear and eyes to see. He's the one who is an eye witness, and then he speaks, and he speaks the truth that he's been given to speak. In fact, he is incarnate truth. But recall with me that the people of Israel had failed to be witnesses to the truth. Just as the people of Israel failed to be a faithful servant to God, We see the fulfillment of the true truth. Servant of God and the true witness of God in Christ. Now Back in Isaiah 44, we have these words. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. Now again, notice in Isaiah 44, Israel was to be the witness of God, witnesses of God's truth. But yet, instead of embracing the truth, believing the truth, teaching the truth, confessing the truth, they were enticed and enamored with falsehood, darkness, and deception. They went after false gods. They went after falsehood. They were deceived by the devil. And the idolatry had made them blind and deaf, so that they could not be eyewitnesses or earwitnesses to the truth. In fact, in Isaiah 44, the very next verse goes on to say, All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses Nesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. I want you to take note of the connection between those who serve false gods who cannot see and who cannot hear. They become like the gods that they serve. After all, these false gods have been made in the fallen image of humanity. With no eyes to see and no ears to hear, these gods can do nothing. Their servants become like them. On the other hand, those who... Listen to the voice of the true God who see the revelation that Isaiah himself is giving. The one who has ears to hear God's voice is one who has ears to see the revelation and the vision of God. And ultimately, of course, that vision will be made manifest in the incarnation. The God himself who is invisible will become visible. The word will become flesh. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. And those, of course, who believe in him, who are his servants, well, we are being formed and shaped into the image of the true only begotten Son, who can see and who can hear. But now going back to Isaiah 44 again, earthly Israel, the unfaithful witness, does not have eyes to see or ears to hear. Instead, he has fallen after false gods. And so Isaiah goes on to say, the iron smith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. And again, notice the mockery of idolatry and makers of idols. That idolatry makes one hungry and thirsty. Well, that's where we end up back in our chapter here in the opening words of chapter 55. Come, everyone who thirst, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. And again, the question is put forth. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. They see the contrast, the contrast between the true God who satisfies, the one who is good, as the psalmist will tell us, taste and see that the Lord is good, contrasted with the false gods they cannot sustain, they cannot satisfy. In fact, it only leaves the idolaters hungry, worn out, and thirsty, with no rest, and of course, with no life. That's why in Psalm 115, when the psalmist makes a mockery of idolatry, it says, They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see, they have ears but do not hear, and noses but do not smell, and those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. Now, again, the people of God were to have eyes to see and ears to hear. They were to be witnesses so that they could speak God's word and proclaim the wonderful things that he has done, calling them out of darkness into his marvelous light. They were to be witnesses of the truth to a fallen humanity being deceived by the devil. Now recall that the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom that is spread and extended by the proclamation of His word. And for that reason, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. It is a testimony. Of course, the apostles that are sent out to the ends of the earth will be witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. They will witness to the truth. And through their preaching and their proclamation, the spirit of truth will be poured out upon the nations, that is, the Gentiles. Remember, the Gentiles, the pagans, the goyim, are those who did not have God's word They did not have the vision. They were not able to see what the prophets saw. That's again why they are seers. They see the revelation of God and they make it known in their proclamation and preaching. But to those who did not see and did not hear, the word of truth came to them to open their eyes and open their ears. Now going back to Isaiah 55, we pick up at verse five. Behold, You shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you, because of Yahweh your God, and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has beautified you. Now, notice in this passage, we are referencing the conversion of the Gentiles, a nation that did not know, a nation that did not know you. And when we talk about the conversion of the Gentiles, we talk about the incarnation, the person and work of Christ who came in the flesh, who was crucified, died, buried, raised again from the dead, and ascended into heaven and sends out the apostles and continues to give out gifts to his church that all may hear and believe and see. Recall with me, back in the previous chapter in Isaiah 54, it opened up by saying, Sing, O barren one who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud. You who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says Yahweh. Of course, Paul quotes this in Galatians chapter 4. Now this may be interpreted allegorically, these women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery, she is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. That, of course, would be those who rejected Jesus in earthly Jerusalem. But Paul goes on in Galatians 4 and says this, But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear, break forth, and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. Now remember, Paul's context here is back in chapter 3 of Galatians where he says, In Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. So we are adopted sons, heirs of the promise by faith in Christ. Now going back to verse 5 in Isaiah 55. Remember it says, Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, And a nation that did not know you shall run to you. Why? Because of Yahweh your God. Later on in the same chapter at verse 7, this same refrain is heard. Because he will abundantly pardon. And then later on in verse 8, Because my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. The because is connected to the person and work of Christ. Now going back to Isaiah 55, let's pick up at verse 6. Seek Yahweh while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to Yahweh that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now, the true God brings life. False gods bring death. Thus, the apostles, the prophets, the message of God that goes out to the ends of the earth, hearing the voice of God clearly, is seek life, which means to seek the true living God. Now, Yahweh is to be found where he is promised to be found. Now, it's true that God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. But the key issue here is where is he to be found with his life-giving word? It's the place where he promises to be found. He promises to be found where his name is. That's dwelling at his temple. He promises to be found in his word in sacraments. He promises to be found in the incarnation, the place where his glory dwells. For this reason, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. If you've heard Jesus, you've heard the Father. If you have Jesus, you have the Father. But if you do not have Jesus, you do not have the Father. Message is a message of invitation. Seek Yahweh while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Take note of the incarnational language. Yet humanity, even though humanity hears this word of invitation, by nature humanity is at war with God, in rebellion against God. Thus the wicked, that is the unbelieving, unrepentant, Well, they are the ones who follow their own ways. They follow their own thoughts. Therefore, this message of uh, salvation comes out that they would be turned from their ways and their thoughts. It is a call to repentance. You see, Yahweh does not desire the death of the wicked, but rather the repentance and life. Repentance is the turning, the conversion of the heart which, of course, is the work of God through the power of his word. The most famous passages about this topic, of course, are found in Ezekiel 18 and Ezekiel 33. So in Ezekiel 18, we have that rhetorical question in which Yahweh himself puts forth. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares Yahweh Adonai, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? Well, later on in 33, he gives the very clear answer. Say to them, as I live, declares Yahweh Adonai, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Again, to be turned is to be converted is to repent, which, of course, is the work of God. Now, with the imagery of turning, you're either turned toward God or you're turned away from God. A heart that has turned away from God is a heart that no longer hears God's voice, no longer listens to the word and learns, but resists the work of the Holy Spirit. Of course, in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses warned the people that they hear God's voice now while Moses was around, but yet even when he was around, they still grumbled against God's word. Therefore, how much more would they grumble and complain and reject God's word when Moses was taken away? Moses warns the people that when you go into the promised land, if you continue to listen to his voice, then you will be blessed. But if you break the covenant and refuse to listen, resisting the work of the Holy Spirit, you will be cursed, and then you will be dispersed. But the promise is that God will gather those who have been scattered because of sin, for sin separates from God. Now, Moses, not only does he threaten and warn them, he also gives them the promise that God, who, like a good shepherd, will come and gather his sheep. Of course, always pointing toward the picture of the incarnation. Thus, in Deuteronomy 4, he says, When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to Yahweh your God and hear his voice. Of course, later on in Deuteronomy 30, he says the same thing. And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among the nations where Yahweh your God has driven you, and return to Yahweh your God, you and your children, and hear his voice and all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul. Moses is teaching about the depravity of humanity, that by nature we do not want to hear God's word. We do not want to know what is right in God's sight. We want to be God's ourselves, deciding what is good and evil. But as Moses tells us about the depravity of the human nature, humanity is sinful, but he emphasizes that God is merciful. God is the one who turns his people to face him once again. He converts hearts and minds. And all this compassion and abundant pardon. This is all for the sake of Christ. We sin much, and he abundantly pardons. Where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. Now, in this passage in Isaiah 55, we are told that there is a day of salvation. The day of salvation is when you hear his voice. While he may be found, while he is near. In fact, Jesus in the flesh echoes these words, for He is the Word incarnate in John chapter 12. When Jesus says to His own people that would not receive them, Jesus says, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light." that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Again, remember the words of Isaiah, seek Yahweh while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. Now going on to Isaiah 55 at verses eight and nine. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares Yahweh. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, here we have the contrast between heavenly ways versus earthly ways, the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of the world. And back in Isaiah 40, remember the prophet had said, "'Who has measured the spirit of Yahweh, or what man shows him his counsel?' the apostle paul picks up this discussion in 1 corinthians chapter 2 when paul says we have received not the spirit of the world but the spirit who is from god that we might understand the things freely given us by god and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom but taught by the spirit Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord as so to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Notice that when Paul uses his language here, he's using interchangeably the mind of the Lord with the spirit of Yahweh. That the spirit knows what the mind thinks. That we have the spirit of God, not the spirit of the world. God's ways are higher than our ways. God's ways are different than our ways. In particular, God's ways are the sure mercies and abundant pardon that we've been discussing in this chapter. Remember, he talked about how you turn to the Lord who is compassionate and who abundantly pardons. This is the way of the gospel. Not the way of earthly rules and regulations, not the way of earthly, you do something for God and he does something for you, but instead in God's grace and mercy. Thus, the prophets and the apostles are revealing to us the thoughts and ways of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit. and The Spirit is given through these very words of the prophets and the apostles in which our eyes are opened and our ears are opened to hear. Remember in Isaiah chapter 40, where the prophet, the Baptist in particular, the voice crying out in the wilderness is to make ready the way of Yahweh. And again, in chapter 40, you had these words of meditation, these questions to ponder. Who has measured the spirit of Yahweh or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Well, again, God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Thus, the Apostle Paul in his letter to the baptized in Rome says this in chapter 11, "'O the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God.'" How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Now, going back to Isaiah 55, we pick up at verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Here we have the language of the word being sent by God. He shall succeed in the thing in which the Father has sent him. And we do not want to separate the essential word of God, that's the eternal logos, from the spoken word of God, where we hear clearly the voice of Jesus. Again, when Jesus sends out the apostles, he says, the one who hears you hears me, and the one who hears me hears him who sent me. Now, Jesus is the one who sent He is sent by the Father, and he shall succeed in the thing for which he was sent. Of course, Jesus sends out the apostles, that is, the sent ones with his word, so that we who have not seen Jesus physically, visibly in his resurrected body, we hear the eyewitness of the apostles. Thus, Jesus will tell Thomas, blessed is the one who has not seen, but yet believes. We believe on account of their testimony, the word of God that works in our heart, that we hear the apostolic message of Jesus crucified and raised again to life for forgiveness of sins, salvation, and reconciliation with God. Therefore, in his first letter to the baptized, the apostle Peter writes and says this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, we live by faith and not by sight, but by the word of God that gives to us life, that our ears see through the word that is spoken through the mouth of the apostles and the prophets. When we hear that word, the Holy Spirit works in us to enlighten us, opening the eyes of our hearts. The word of God comes from God to accomplish that for which he has sent it. The image, of course, is as the rain that comes down from the heavens, the snow that comes down from the heavens. It waters the earth. Of course, this again is that language of doing something. It is is a word that is efficacious. It's powerful. It actually changes. Thus, we have a picture again of the conversion of the Gentiles, that the word of God comes down like the water and the rain to water the earth, watering the soul that it may bear fruit. You see, the word of God effects life, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, Of course, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from his mouth. Now, Paul, of course, will pick up the same imagery of the seed and the sower in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, saying that God is the one who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, and it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Of course, Paul will use this language in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 when he says that God is the one who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now, let's go back to Isaiah 55, picking up at verse 12. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for Yahweh, an everlasting sign That shall not be cut off. Now, first of all, this language of going out takes us back to the Exodus, the image of God who comes to deliver us, to redeem us from slavery and captivity to Pharaoh in Egypt, which of course is a picture of the darkened deception and dominion of the devil. So, when he says you shall go out, this is to go out as in going out from Egypt. Now, we are talking about this new, when we talk about the redemption of Christ, we are talking about the new Exodus, echoed, of course, in Psalm 114, when Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of a strange language, Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion, the sea looked and fled, Jordan turned back, the mountains skipped like rams and the hills like lambs. Here we are combining the image of a new exodus with a new creation and a new song.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Redeemer Theological Academy. For more episodes or to leave comments about this show, please visit our website, RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Again, that's RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Thanks for listening, and may our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, continue to be your life and salvation, your hope and your peace.